Hi, my name's Adam McCurdy, co-founder of Humanitix, and you're listening to the Unconventional Business Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to HubSpot's Unconventional Business. A show about how Australian and New Zealand brands are growing and winning by putting the customer experience first. We're talking with leaders from our best homegrown brands about their journey, the decisions they made along the way, and their biggest learnings. I'm James Gilbert. And I'm Kat Warboys, and we'll be your hosts this season. Now let's get into the show. Today, we're joined by Adam McCurdy, CEO and co-founder of Humanitix. Welcome, Adam, and thank you so much for joining us. G'day, Kat. Thanks for having me on. So for our listeners who haven't heard of Humanitix, they're an Aussie-founded online ticketing platform, but stopping there would be skipping about 99% of the story because Humanitix is the world's first not-for-profit online ticketing and booking platform. Co-founders Adam McCurdy and Joshua Roche created Humanitix for an incredible reason, one that's driven by purpose and humanity and not profit. Adam, would you mind expanding on that very brief introduction uh, and sharing with us really the story of Humanitix? You know, take us right back to the beginning and where the initial idea came from. Sure. So, I mean, Humanitix is at its core an education non-profit. So we believe that every child, no matter their background and circumstance, deserves the right to receive a quality education. And the big question for us was how could we look at new innovative ways using technology, innovative business to achieve that purpose and achieve that outcome. And it started now six or so years ago with my best friend, Josh Ross. Uh, we both went to high school together and uh, had went through university. I studied engineering, Josh studied finance, and we went down pretty traditional career paths. But all the while, we were kind of thinking to ourselves, how do we give back to society in the best way possible? How do we make a contribution um, that is meaningful and that uses our skill sets in a scalable way? I think it's a pretty common desire now across the board, um, personal contribution back to society. And models like social business and social enterprise were really interesting to Josh and I. Uh, looking at uh, people like Professor Muhammad Yunus, uh, who created microfinance and the whole concept of social business, and then seeing various social businesses and social enterprises pop up. And we thought, is there a way for us to set up our own social business, our social enterprise, where we can come into an industry uh, with a product or service where there are no shareholders in the organization, but instead 100% of all the profits that we generate go into funding education for disadvantaged students? And it was with that that we we began. You know, by the sounds of it and what people may not realize is that you really did start with that values element as opposed to, oh, look, there's a problem with online ticketing and booking platforms. That's right. So we looked at a lot of social enterprises that um, were doing amazing work, but often used dealing in fast moving consumer goods. Uh, and there's a few great examples out there with in Australia, with thank you and who gives a crap with toilet paper. It's fantastic. But very few are leveraging software as a service businesses and those types of industries, which are uber profitable. And therefore, if you have a 100% for profit, uh, for purpose impact model, then, then surely that's a great uh, opportunity. So um, we explored a few different ideas, but then ticketing really stood out to us 
as a great opportunity to start to play in. The events ticketing industry offers you know, software to event organizers of all shapes and sizes to manage the promotion and sales of their tickets. And booking fees are the revenue model in ticketing. And everyone hates paying booking mm-hmm. fees and they add up to billions of dollars across the planet. And we thought, well, what if we could redistribute those billions of dollars every year in booking fees into funding education programs? The issue, though, was that we had always intended Humanitics to be a nonprofit. So therefore, we're setting up a company now that doesn't have any equity. So to raise money, we can't access the traditional uh, fundraising streams like venture capital and uh, the like for traditional startups. So instead, we decided to team up. So at the time, Josh and I were working at our respective jobs. And we said, you know what, let's just give this a try. Um, This is not going to be pulled off in our spare time. And so we made a deal. We said, look, let one of us leave our jobs and focus on Humanitics full time, just to give it a shot. Let's just try build a basic product, get it out there, start acquiring organizers and see whether or not this is compelling. Um, whilst the other person stays in their job so that we can share their salary and also seed fund the organization, um, bootstrapping it essentially. And that's what we did. So we decided that I would leave my job, give up my salary, focus full-time on humanitics, while Josh stayed in his job and we shared his salary and also used uh, additional money to and savings to fund a seed fund humanitics. And we did that all on a handshake. You must be pretty good friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been friends at that stage for about eight or ten years. And rightfully so, our, our parents and our other friends were a bit concerned, you know. You're risking a beautiful friendship, uh, you know, by going into business together, let alone quite a stress, stressful arrangement like sharing a salary while the one person goes full time. But we just wanted to back each other. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You're obviously very united on on the mission that you guys are on. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm sure that was a great test of your friendship along the way as well. Um, but I mean, you've, you've you obviously got some amazing backing along the way from Atlassian, from Google. What at what point did that did did those um, backers come onto the scene for you? Yeah, that's right. So about 16 months into this handshake agreement, uh, we were getting some really promising results with our pilot MVP platform. And that's when Josh left his job, joined me full-time, and we were both volunteering full-time on Humanitics, uh, trying to grow the platform. And about three or four months after that, we were networking with a range of high net worth philanthropists in Sydney to back this idea, this crazy charity, this nonprofit that is going to fund its purpose through booking fees and running a ticketing platform. And eventually we found some incredibly courageous individual philanthropists that uh, became our first, some of which became our first board members and as well became our first backers. And it was with that money, we were able to then start to build an engineering team, knowing that really our path to growth and success was getting the platform to a stage that was truly compelling for event organizers of all different shapes and sizes to use. And, And so we focused exclusively on product with the, with the money. Interestingly enough, we we thought that one of the downfalls of a lot of social enterprises is to too heavily rely on the social impact point of difference, while simultaneously 
coming in with a, an uncompetitive price or a not so good product. And from day one, we said, no, this is not what we're going to do. We're going to um, strive to be better on product, solving uh, problems in promotion, management of events, all that kind of stuff, better than the competitors out there. We're going to be much more price competitive. Uh, no one's going to pay more to switch to Humanitix for their ticketing. We're going to service the hell out of these event organizers to make them love using our product because customer service had, has really slipped in events ticketing. And we're going to donate 100% of the profits from our fees to our education programs. If we can pull off that, I think this has got a real shot. And so off we went. About a year or so into that journey and, and the product getting better and more sophisticated, bigger, complex event organizers using the platform, making the switch to Humanitix, we then won the Google Impact Challenge, which is a challenge that Google kind of flies around the world and has... Uh, a competition for the best social impact ideas to pitch for a million dollars prize money from... Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And we won. And that was a million dollars. And then as well, the Atlassian Foundation, one of Australia's, if not Australia's biggest tech success story, um, their foundation backed Humanitics with three-year funding as well. And that allowed us to really build out a a sizable engineering team. And again, continue to accelerate the growth and uh, sophistication of the platform. Yeah, amazing. That must have been a real um, sort of turning point um, for Humanitics at the time. But, you know, going back to, you know, why event platforms, you know, did you, do you have a sense or do you have any numbers around just how much uh, is spent in ticketing fees, whether that's in Australia, whether that's globally? Yeah, globally, we think the number's roughly three to four billion. Yeah, wow. Every year, which to us is just an awesome opportunity in fees that people are paying that everyone hates to be redirected to things that matter. Totally. And, you know, were there any other sort of um, ideas that came close to events? I mean, that number alone, I'm sure, was enough for you to go, okay, this is the most meaningful uh, way we can achieve what we want to. But were there any other, you know, ideas, particularly in tech or SaaS, that, you know, that came close to to uh, before you picked online ticketing? Yeah, I mean, we, we played around with so many different ideas, um, all of which I'm very happy we didn't go down the rabbit hole too far on. Uh, one of, one of which was you know looking at social media uh, do we cr- could we create our own social media platform and would that be really compelling where you know users of a social media platform could um have their usage of the platform be attributed to some marketing dollar that's been produced for the platform that then gets uh, distributed to a charity uh, or an organization for purpose um those types of ideas um but gee whiz, um, I mean, social media, uh, it doesn't make any money until you've, you've got critical mass and then, you know, you're asking people to come and join the platform yep. without being able to demonstrate impact. Um, you know, one of the beautiful things about the events ticketing world and, you know, the booking fees on tickets is that it's so transparent. It means that every time we sell a ticket, there is a booking fee. And every time there's a booking fee, we can report exactly how much goes to our impact projects and what those impact projects have achieved. So there and then on every single transaction, there is social impact, real social impact being made. Um, and and those were that's kind of what kind of led us more down the path of 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 a of, of ticketing. Yeah, yeah, incredibly real time. Um, you must have also felt, you know, that um, there were some real pain points within 
the software that was currently available at the time, enough for you to come along and disrupt that anyway. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? You know, where were you seeing big gaps? Um, as you said, people don't love paying uh, ticketing fees, but when you work for an organization, you obviously just want a software platform that's going to drive results and not get you fired, right? Um, where did you see the opportunities to, to disrupt that experience and uh, that people were had and had on offer at the time? Yeah, we, we saw a lot of uh, organizers across the board of events really using a ticketing platform because, well, they have to. And okay, so they use the, the one they find on Google and many of them are much the same. Some are more clunky than the others. Uh, all of them are quite limited uh, depending on what type of events you're running. They, they don't uh, gel too well with, with customer requirements. And it's just this kind of necessary evil. Uh, certainly no relationship, certainly no, oh, wow, so through my ticketing partner, <laughs> I can be creating social impact. I can actually have a relationship. I can enjoy working with them. We can be a true partnership. I, I think that side of things was what's most sorely lacking. You know, the, the tech, we've now caught up and surpassed the competitors on on features and functionality and usability and all that kind of stuff. But really, I think what was sorely missing was a true partnership with event organizers and the clients that that want to so much of event organization is promotion and community engagement and all these types of things and it really matters when you can you can have a partner that cares and what's so beautiful actually about um all of the team at humanitics is we're driven by such a fire that is I'm still trying to wrap my head around where because there's so much purpose infused in what we do and such tangible outcomes with the growth of our platform for the benefit of society, when we have an organizer that comes and uses us, our platform, we bend over backwards. How can we help you? How can we um, just make sure that you have the best time on this platform? Because it's not just about uh, hitting some sales target. It's not just about trying to get our equity up pre-IPO or post-IPO, let's keep our shareholders happy and you know, maybe I'll hit my bonus, these types of things. It's, it's on a whole other level of purpose. So when, you're, when event organizers are being served by an account manager at Humanitics, this is what the fuel uh, uh, in the bellies of, of the account managers at Humanitics. And it's amazing uh, the outcomes we get. Because one of the big questions at the beginning was, can a charity, can a nonprofit compete with well-funded, often Silicon Valley startups or venture capital-funded startups, can, can we compete with that? And really excitingly, the answer is yes. And so much of it is the, I give a shit because I really care about what this organization is trying to achieve. Yeah, no, totally. It's it's a really interesting point, and what I hadn't really thought about, you know, the impact on the service that your that your teams are able to deliver because they're so intrinsically, um, you know, value valuing the the company and what they're representing, and you know, having better output and experience mm -hmm. as a result. It's a really really interesting way of looking at it. Your uh, your staff retention must be uh, really good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and you know what? So much of that <laughs> speaks to the motivation of why Josh and I started it in the first place because. Most often, there is this cruel trade-off in professional work between, um, you know, well-paid uh, jobs that are good for professional development that utilize skills that might have been acquired at university or elsewhere, and providing a contribution back to society. And there's a, there's most often a really cruel trade-off there. 
not all the time, but very often. And what we what we've created at Humanitics is the ability for whether you're an engineer or a salesperson or an account manager or a product developer, you 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 express all those skills, you develop all those skills to produce something like the best ticketing software in the world with the best service and all that all that jazz, while simultaneously having this tangible, real impact for something like providing scholarships and education to the world's most disadvantaged children. And it's awesome to see that that trade-off not being had at a place like Humanitics, and I hope this can be yeah. a, uh, an example for more to follow. Yeah, and did you expect that, or did you expect it could be quite a challenge to get, you know, especially in tech and developers, like uh, good talent uh, coming into a not-for-profit? Uh, we did. We expect it to be potentially a problem, but we didn't expect it to be as successful as it's been. Um, yeah. You know, particularly say an engineer, I mean, you go work for a charity as an engineer, typically speaking, you're not solving the most difficult or complex engineering problems. You know, maybe you're building their static marketing website or something like that, but it's not, it's not really difficult tech that you're trying to scale that has complex customer requirements working with product managers. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where it's just been so exciting to see that. <laughs> Uh, that at Humanitics and, and is yeah, why we have such good retention. So social impact has been a strong motivator for your employees. Um, what I'm curious to understand a bit more is about, you know, how that motive, how is it a motivator for um, your customers in the B2B space? Because, you know, you've touched mm. on some great brands already, the brands we've been lucky enough to have on the show, um, companies, uh, B Corps like Sendall um, and Who Gives a Crap and most recently uh, Modibody. And on the consumer side, you know, what all of them are definitely seeing is you know I I when I have a choice between two brands I'm highly motivated to pick the brand that has a better impact either on the planet or people mm. um, and not just profit. I wonder if it's the same uh, in a bit of more of a B two B space. So when you're working with organisations um, whose you know motivations um, become a lot more complex uh, than just you know my everyday consumer choice, mm. have you seen? since the time you guys have started that motivator for actually no that's that's a consideration when we're purchasing um, a platform and a solution is that increased towards have, having being able to have an impact at the same time or what's that looked like over the time that you guys have been operating you know it's so interesting the short answer to the, the question is yes um, um, I organizers and b2b I would prefer to procure from a company that is um, giving back to society, the planet, et cetera, in a genuine, tangible way. Um, however, with B2B, I think there's a, the quality and price bar is really, is quite difficult to, go, to come through. Because at the end of the day, that business says, look, I'm running a business and I can't mess around with average technology or an average product or an average service because I need this for my business to function. So I've got a lot of skin in the game. So the need to come to the party with a quality product at a very competitive price, I think is a lot um, more important. The bar is certainly a lot higher to, to cross over that threshold. But the feedback that we receive time and time again is, as long as you can come to the party with that and really prove to me that this is going to be good for my business, um, then yes, obviously the fact that you guys are donating 100% of all your profits to funding ed education for disadvantaged kids, that's great. Interestingly enough, I think actually the, the pull on wanting to pro procure from a, a company that's giving back to society is in the event space is actually higher than, say, B2C because 
a brand that like an event organizer who's running an event with on their brand who uses a humanitics ticketing platform essentially gets to piggyback off for their own brand off the benefit the social impact that humanitics is making through the ticketing so the organizer can now communicate to their attendees that with in partnership with humanitics now every ticket that is sold to our event is going to achieve this social impact and even at the end of the event they're able to report exactly how much social impact their event made by simply using humanitics and so they as a business you get really excited to then tell your consumers all this social impact that you've made um but again that the concern and understandable concern from businesses is you know uh, this is not just one bottle of soap that i'm giving a try or one you know rat roll of toilet paper that if i don't like it i'll just i just won't buy it again you know it's a really really big decision to use one ticketing technology over another uh, so yeah, it's been an interesting journey in that regard. Yeah, it sounds like it's much more than just sort of a, a feel-good feeling for the company, but actually, you know, a partnership and um, a way for them to demonstrate to their own customers their their values as a brand. Because I think there's a lot of pressure on organisations at the moment to show customers, even if they are not a social enterprise, even if they're not a not-for-profit, like what are they doing? Mm. Um, because it is so important to buyers today and the fact that they can partner up with you and kind of solve that problem as well seems like a, a bit of a no-brainer. Totally. We've We've had organizers come back to us saying, thank you so much. You know, our attendees have been uh, DMing us on Instagram and any of the channels that they use to communicate with attendees saying that they're, they're so stoked that we're using Humanitics. And often we kind of get it from the other side, which is, you know, attendees of a festival or whatever saying to an organizer, why aren't you using Humanitics? It's, it's such an easy way to just do better and contribute more from tickets that we're already buying. And I guess to that point, it, you know, it becomes very important how you carry your brand out to general consumers who want to see that from the companies that they're actually getting their tickets from. So it's, mm. yeah, it's interesting model. Um, I think, you know, NFPs or charities in general, when a lot of people think about, about that, I think a few things would come to mind. Things like collection buckets at the, sh at the shopping center, you know, door knocking, being stopped on the street and being asked for money. Mm. I think when we, when we think about charities, the experience for consumers so far has largely been about being interrupted, right? Um, but you've named a few um, brands already that clearly have been um, at the forefront of sort of this shift where essentially the model for charities or NFPs is changing to rather than asking people for additional funds, it's just about redistributing the spending that's already happening, right? And you said, you know, thank you uh, are a great example of that. You guys obviously up there as well. Um, and it feels like this is just the beginning of, you know, traditional NFP models really having to, to pivot and evolve. Just interested to get your wider perspective on where that's going in general. I think the two are very complementary. I don't think that a humanitics model would ever replace a Smith family, um, you know, Red Cross, traditional frontline charity. Because at the end of the day, we need those frontline charities that are learning how to best provide the social impact in the area of impact that they're providing, how to best do that on the ground with the learnings on the ground. And models like Humanitics and Thank You, et cetera, are innovating in business and where profit can go to better redistribute all of those profits that are created into the best frontline education charity partners. 
and you do that as a charity itself to ensure that it's clean. Because the fact that Humanitics is a charity and a nonprofit means that there is no equity. There's no shareholders in Humanitics. So Humanitics could never be sold to another ticketing platform or something else. And there's no shareholders wanting to get their return uh, either from our booking fees. So we can very cleanly redistribute 100% of the profits um, into these programs. Now, these programs are the best frontline education charities that we can find. And without those frontline education charities, it's, it's like there's a core competency game going on here that, you know, from an optics perspective, it would look great if Humanitics itself was also educating disadvantaged kids, physically running the programs in schools. That would look great for a marketing campaign. That's not your role in this. Not just yeah. that. What the hell do we know about the best way to educate disadvantaged students and make impact in disadvantaged communities? Uh, obviously, our best and most strategic and most impactful approach is to partner up and find those frontline charity partners who need the funding to scale programs that are proven to be working well. And I think that's the beauty of what's kind of being married here with these humanitics-like charities uh, and frontline charities. And I don't think one replaces the other. It's just putting more fire in, in the space to really be making the change that we all want to be making. Uh, I could definitely talk to you more about some of those frontline charities and how you then think about which are the effective ones and all of that. But I want to be conscious of bringing it back uh, to Humanitics and hearing more about your story there. Um, so, you know, I'd love to know when, when you know, thinking about the journey that you went on, what, what point did you get to where you really felt like you were getting momentum? You know, was there a particular milestone that you were, you were heading for? I think that the, the biggest milestone was that the organization would be completely self-funding in other words, independent of, of philanthropic capital and spitting out a significant amount of money into our frontline education um, projects. So much of the point of Humanitics is that, yes, we, in, we raised money from philanthropists and foundations to get going, to get started, to grow, all that. But none of it means anything unless we get to a stage where we no longer need their philanthropic capital, and we can now self-fund and simultaneously be spitting off all of this profit, 100% of it, into these programs, because then that's where you really prove the model works. Um, otherwise, you're just being backfunded by philanthropists the whole time to then kind of yeah. Pass, yeah. pass it on, and yeah, it, but it's not actually working. And when we achieved that moment of truly being self-funding with a team of it would have been roughly 15, 20 people and growing quickly and distributing huge amounts of money into our partner programs. That, I think, was the biggest milestone because that, that's the whole point. And that's where yeah. I think if more and more examples of that can exist with the likes of us and thank you, et cetera, I think this will become more and more of an attractive model that more and more will continue to experiment with. Because this is all one big experiment. There aren't many examples of this type of business model, uh, let alone in, you know, SaaS businesses. Um, it's almost unheard of or it is unheard of. So um, it, to, to have actually achieved that and say, this works and we've proved it, biggest uh, morale boost I could, I could ever imagine. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine that would have felt pretty good. <laughs> 
especially when you know having such a big impact with that as well like you say it's not just sort of you know when you're going when you're going to IPO and things like that so yeah I can definitely see the, the feel-good feeling in that um you have been I think I read doubling in size sort of every six or so months for the past few years which is incredible particularly given how 20 and 21 uh, have been, especially with COVID and impacting the events industry. How, how did that go for you guys? How did it impact your growth and your mission in any way? Jeez, it was wobbly and terrifying, to be quite honest, when it <laughs> first, first happened. I was actually with Josh in, in America last year in March of all times to be uh, traveling in America yep. <laughs> as we were uh, in the embryonic stages of of setting things up for our expansion into the North American market. And that's when COVID obviously started to um, uh, grow and grow. The the transmission rate started to increase significantly. And we had to then put that all on ice and come home back to Australia. At that stage, Humanitix is self-funding, giving close to a million dollars a year to our, our education projects. And that's just not slowing down anytime soon. So that's hopefully soon going to be one and a half, two million, three million. And, and we haven't even yet sold a ticket in, a, in North America, which is the biggest market. And we're super excited. And then just lockdowns happen across the board and all events just go on hold, freeze. And it was like lights out over, over the space of three days. Um, terrifying. And we regrouped as a team thankfully kept the entire team together so we didn't have to make any cuts or anything. That was the most terrifying thing that that potentially we would have to do that. But um, regrouped and said, you know what, there are thousands of organizers on the Humanitics platform right now that are watching their livelihoods go up in smoke and they're terrified and we need to do everything we can to help them. And so our whole sales team is obviously not selling anymore, but instead account managing, but true account management, helping out with uh, communication strategies to communicate to attendees on, you know, if the event's going to be postponed and and what's happening with ticket funds and what's the cancellation refund policy and, you know, different options that that they can be using and all these types of things in a totally, you know, unprecedented time. I know that word's been overused horribly. (laughs) Um, and, And that was really beautiful in itself where the team found real spark and new newfound purpose in now helping our organizers through an incredibly stressful time. And then when things started to open up again, it word spread uh, that we had handled ourselves in that way through the worst of it. Um, we heard of other platforms, you know, bringing out the terms and conditions and the lawyer hat and trying to claw back money here and there and just a whole bunch of nasty stories. And then more and more organizers were saying, you got to go with Humanitics because they, they showed their true colors in a time of, of when everyone was terrified. Then we just exploded coming out of, out of COVID. And now it's all systems go with going into the US and New Zealand has continued to grow tremendously. And word of mouth is our biggest source of growth. It's always been our biggest source of growth. But I think more and more particularly now through COVID where uh, many um, organizations have shown their true colors, uh, I think has been, you know, we, we've benefited from it ultimately with, um, what people have said about how we behaved. Yeah. I mean, we, we worked 
a lot with our customers during COVID. And that's just something that seems to have really rung true that, and I think uh, our co-founder Dimesh said, said, you know, do the right thing by your customers, Mm. even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. Um, Mm. And I think we heard that really ring true for a lot of our customers, the ones that, you know, did what they could. And it wasn't, it's not always possible for small business during those times to kind of do that. But for those that could, you know, your customers really remember that um, Mm. when they come out of it and they're going to remember that and they're going to come back and they're going to talk about you. Um, And I think we saw it, you know, ring really true. We were very fortunate during COVID being, you know, an online um, uh, platform for companies to take their business online. Mm. You know, we would stand, we stood to benefit a lot from that, but it was very much a similar thing, you know, okay, well, can we bring more of our features down into free? So customers can do more, for nothing to get their business online so that they can survive. And I think it's this whole kind of circle of, you know, when you can do the right thing, it will come back, you know, tenfold. And I think that's another really brilliant example um, that that's great to hear happen. Absolutely. You know, you touched on, you know, you haven't even sort of gone into North America yet. Uh, <laughs> and you're already doing in- incredibly well. Um, how are you thinking about that? You know, there's some major global players um, operating there. Um, what do you think, you know, are going to be some of your biggest barriers uh, as you gain your footing in that market? Knowledge of our service is is always the biggest barrier and that there are organizers that have used us, can vouch for us. Um, event organizers are, are, are a tight-knit community, I think, all across the world. And whether it's the festival space or the conference space or the, you know, the yoga community or the meditation community or the there's all these kind of pockets of of communities that run events and and often need an events ticketing solution for their events and they talk and so the the biggest barrier is is knowledge of our service and knowledge that we're wonderful to deal with and that the software is great and that obviously the impact is un, unrivaled um and it'll it'll be tough to kind of break through into that and get that those word of mouth that spreading from what we've seen in Australia and New Zealand, once that happens, it's awesome and super exciting from there. So I think it'll just be quite a grind to get those those first few wins. And uh, we already are getting those first few wins in, in North America, which is awesome and really promising. But it's a grind because you're going into an environment um, and a part of the world where not many people know who we are. And like I said, when you're an event organizer, you're running uh, your ticketing through a platform that becomes the single lane highway of funds for your business Uh, and you can't afford for that highway to break you can't afford for that highway to be even shaky it has to be rock solid so um, it's difficult to break through to get that trust of organizers but like I said once it's also a compounding thing because once you get the trust of organizers they then they then tell your story to others. And luckily you have, you know, such good success elsewhere. Um, so hopefully that'll help. Um, you know, something our listeners uh, like to hear from uh, is kind of lessons learned and, you know, hiccups uh, maybe along the way. Um, so I guess first on that note, you know, what are you most proud of? I know there's a lot to be proud of when you work uh, for a company like Humanitics. But, you know, is there anything in particular that just kind of really blew you away along the journey? Yeah, one of them was um, very early on. It was maybe a year and a half into the journey, and we were under a lot of pressure to build um, kind of the next version of our platform as we were under a lot of pressure to kind of get it up to snow with our competitors, as any kind of startup is in the early days. There was a hackathon being run for solutions for people with 
disabilities. And uh, I was invited to it and I said, let's go. I'm, uh, you know, maybe we can learn something and maybe there's something interesting we can do as well and build. And so I went off with um, our CTO who'd we, who we'd just hired and, and our CTO was furiously building, you know, the next <laughs> version of the platform. So it was a big thing to take off two days to go to a hackathon. And at the hackathon, we met a range of people with different disabilities, deaf, blind, phys- uh, hearing, physically disabled, et cetera. And um, when we told them that we were an events ticketing platform, they said, oh, don't get me started. I, um, I don't go to live events anymore. So not really much you can do. And this whole hackathon was for all these teams to just simply find out problems that these people are going through and try to put together solutions. And so we said, well, hang on a minute. Why don't you attend live events anymore? And they said, across the board, I, look, I know the organizers well-intentioned. They mean well, but they're not, they don't have the tools to cater to my needs. I don't have an opportunity to even communicate my accessibility requirements. And it's always a disaster. So I'm always made to feel um, not good. Mm. And it's, I just, I'm over it. I'm sick of it. And then the next few questions went down that rabbit hole of, well, what would give you confidence to attend a live event? And when we went into that, the answers that we received were amazingly similar. And we realized that as the ticketing platform, we hold the key to almost all of those uh, things that need to be addressed to give somebody confidence to attend a live event if they have an accessibility requirement. And we built a first-of-its-kind accessibility tool into the Humanitics platform at the hackathon and actually launched it, released it at the hackathon. So we said, whether we win this thing or not, we've we learned so much and we've built this thing and we're now going to be a leader in accessibility and events ticketing and really try help educate organizers on what they can be doing and also just building really simple tools um, that help give the information that needs to be given to give confidence to, to attendees. And we won the hackathon and it was awesome. And, and then from then on, we started to pave the way on event accessibility in the events world using being the ticketing platform as this very powerful position to affect change in event accessibility. And what I'm so proud of, and I think what was to me such a, a beautiful highlight in all of that is we... We just continue to recognize who we were as an organization, recognize our position um, that we're in, and not be narrow in understanding the impact that we can make and being open to other areas of contribution that we can be providing without it you know, taking us down a, a dirt road that makes us too spread out too thin, but still being strategic, but but keeping an open mind as to other areas of contribution that we can make. And it's been awesome what we've achieved for event accessibility over the last few years, um, besides the impact that we make through our booking fees. Yeah, that is such an incredible story. I love that. Uh, I bet you want to go to Hackathons all the time yeah. now, just <laughs> on the off chance of what else is going to come up. Exactly. But I mean, when you start looking for these opportunities of how you can, you know, represent you know, what are typically more disadvantaged people um, through a platform, it just, you know, your eyes just must be open to opportunities all the time. Mm. Such a great story. Uh, to me, underscores the benefit of often just rolling with, just roll with an idea, roll with something that's out there. I mean, it's how humanities got started in the first place. You know, jo- you know, Josh had this crazy idea of, well, maybe a social media platform. I mean, can you do an organized uh, business that 
donates its profits to, you know, in the software space. And we were chatting about it. We just rolled with it. And it was just by rolling with it that we then found that actually a good fit for that kind of idea is in events ticketing. But that wouldn't have happened if you don't, if you don't roll with it and you just start to entertain an initial idea that might be woefully unfeasible and <laughs> doomed for failure, but it doesn't matter because you find the the successful idea by just, just going with the flow. But also like how, you know, how would a company who have got shareholders to pay and please, like how would they have taken their new CTO out for two days off of a, you know, a big project to focus on something else just because, you know, just mm. out of curiosity, that'd be so much harder, uh, you know, in a, in a traditional organization. So, you know, there must be a lot of freedom that comes with you, that in a know, way. I've never thought of that. That's, that's, a, that's, <laughs> a, that's a great point. I, yeah, you're right. We probably couldn't have done that taken because it's, yeah, it's, you're just, it's madness. Yeah, you can't go off, you know, course and you know, halt a major project just for curiosity. Like, uh, no, what, you can do what that. What the shareholders <laughs> have to say. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, um, that would be, you know, really interesting. You know, what kind of culture that enables you to create without that pressure, without that goal? Um, yeah. I think is really, really fascinating. Yeah, it has been something to not have investors breathing down our neck. Yeah, it's a very different set of goals and what growth. Uh, is interpreted to look right. Um, Mm. I guess last question, because I could ask so many more just to round us out. Um, Aside from being a not-for-profit online ticketing platform, you know, is there anything else? You've already just given us a great example, but I wonder, I'm sure you've got loads more, but, you know, is there anything that you feel like you did that was super unconventional um, and that has worked really well for Humanitics? It's most unconventional that we've done. Other than a... Startup with Other no than literally, equity, yeah. sharing <laughs> salary <laughs> with a friend on handshake. Um, <laughs> what's most maybe unconventional and also has been been quite beautiful is the team culture and the team vibe that we have at Humanitics is something that we've just embraced as just being humans. We genuinely don't have a mask that people put on, and you know when we started and we started to build the team, I had. Um, luckily my parents allowed us to use their garage to, for us to grow the team in, because obviously it was short on cash (laughs) and (laughs) we grew the team to eight or nine people out of my parents' garage. And they were, to be honest, my mom was stoked to have me back at the home. I think they were (laughs) suffering from an an empty nest, (laughs) but amazing credit to them to allow us to do that. But, you know, my grandpa, who is a, a really good engineer, amazing engineer, lives with them. And so, you know, we'd have people come over for an interview and they'd knock on the door and sometimes Henry, my grandfather, would would beat us to it and he'd waddle over to the door, open the door and, oh, who are you? And, and uh, I'd, I'd then come scuttling in and say, oh, thanks, Henry. You know, hi, come on in. You know, you're here for the interview. And it was, you know, some engineer or something who's in for an interview. And, and so... You know, the whole team grew up around um, essentially my family and Josh's family as well because we'd get to use his parents' home occasionally as well who were very amazing to give us their space from time to time. Um, but I think, you know, that kind of environment makes you have to drop any act that you want to put on because, I mean, parents are around, the grandparents are there. You know, you can't you can't put on an act. I've started a company with 
my best friend, so we both know who each other are. So, so I think that. So if we were to act strange in a, you know, that kind of weird professional masks that you know we tend to want to put on in professional environments, we just weren't able to. And and I think that's had a tremendous yeah. influence on the culture at Humanitics, um, and has filtered into everything with the way that we treat our organizers and. Um, we say I love you to each other <laughs> just because it's a nice thing to say. And we say it to our organizers and we say it to our clients. And I guess that's unconventional. Is Henry still showing people uh, through? <laughs> Actually, you know, something funny. Um, so we, we obviously since moved to offices once we outgrew that and, and we were able to you know, afford offices as, as well. Um, but the engineering team loved working out of my parents' home. So they said, you know, can we just like one day a week like just t- 10 of us or something, go and work out of your parents' home. And my mum and my dad, they, they obviously loved the idea. They thought it was great. So then one day a week, we have, uh, you know, a group of our engineers going and working out of my parents' house. And I'm not even there. Uh, it's just, you know, at the McCurdy's, they're doing their thing. And, and these are people that I had never met before we hired them. At Humanitics. It's like, what's work-life balance at Humanitics? <laughs> it's, right. it's all the one thing. <laughs> exactly. It's been such a beautiful side to the whole story. Well, thank you for sharing that story uh, with us, the whole story today. It's been really, um, really insightful, really unique um, journey. And uh, yeah, we wish you the best of luck uh, for what's to come. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing it all with us today. Thanks, Kat. Been great. Thanks for tuning in to HubSpot's Unconventional Business Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'd love you to subscribe and tell your friends, co-workers, you know what, tell whoever. Before we go, a shout out to our mates over at Audio Technica for bringing us today's epic sound quality. Whether you're after an awesome pair of headphones to listen to your favorite podcast on or a mic to start your own, Audio Technica has you covered. Head to audio-technica.com.au to check them out.